Good morning. My name is Jason Graves, and I'm one of the, the ministers here at, at Riverside. Our preaching minister is on a father-son trip with his son, Will, this weekend, and so I'll be, I'll be filling in today uh, on the fourth week of a series in which we've preached the exact same text every week. Um, so let's see what we can dig out of this thing for one more week. Uh, luckily, it's an incredibly rich text that you just heard read by John and Carol. Um, one of the reasons I wanted John and Carol to read that this morning is that these are two people in my life that, that know uh, what it means to love their neighbors. Uh, they have, have, have done that extensively uh, together in their marriage, and I've learned a lot from watching them uh, do that. And I wanted you to hear from their voices, people that, that have, have experienced this. Uh, so what I want to do to start off is I want to invite you back for next week um, because next week's going to be, be really special. You heard DJ talk about it for, uh, for a few minutes. October 29th, we're calling that Engage Sunday. And this is a chance for us to kind of live out the things we've been talking about in this series, Next Door As It Is In Heaven, what it means for us to engage in our community and what matters most. And so things are going to look pretty different around here. Instead of meeting for this normal time at 1015 where we come together for worship, we're going to go out. We're going to go out into our community for different service opportunities. And if you have not had a chance, there are sign-ups for some service opportunities that are out in this foyer and information out there as well. Kara Dunn has done a fantastic job of, uh, of kind of organizing all this for us. And she'll be out there after service today to kind of help answer questions or to help you look at those lists. We'll also be sending out some sign-ups uh, for, for those in the email, if you're part of our, our email list, you'll have, you'll have an opportunity to sign up that way this week. Um, but we're, we're coming down to it. So if you want to want to be part of this next week, go ahead and sign up today. Uh, talk with Kara, talk with some of us on staff, and we can kind of help you through that process. We have quite a few opportunities to reach out to, to different parts of this community, not just in Coppell, but in other places around here as well. And I know that God's going to do powerful things through that. Now let's talk about the schedule for next week. So here's what it's going to look like. 9.30 next week, we are going to meet up here, but we're going to meet right outside, uh, weather permitting. We're going to meet out there for kind of a sending time. There will be coffee and donuts because we know you need that. We need that. And then we'll, we'll have a, a moment where Corey kind of uh, speaks some blessing over us and sends us out. Probably about 20 to 30 minutes there. Uh, come up. You can get the t-shirts. We'll have t-shirts that day that will be available. We'll have a, a, uh, some other information that you could come get that morning, last minute information. But that's a chance for us to meet together to then be sent out into the community. The rest of the day, all of these service opportunities will happen at different times. And so every group will kind of be different. That will be communicated to you once you sign up on a list. But that night, this is what I want you to hear. At 5.30 that evening, we'll meet back here in this room. We'll have tables set up. We'll share in a meal together. We'll talk about the day. We'll share some stories of things that God has done. We'll worship together. Uh, we'll partake in communion together at that time. We'll take up an offering as well. That will be kind of our, our worship assembly for, uh, for the day. It will happen at 5.30 that evening. We'd love for you to come back and be part of that. Now, with, with, uh, with that kind of event, obviously we need some help with that as well. 
Uh, so if you're, if you're available, we have opportunities for you to help in terms of set up here and, and clean up and all those kinds of things. In fact, right now, as I'm preaching, if you're on the email list, you should get an email from Riverside. This was scheduled to go out. Uh, an email from Riverside with a link to a sign-up genius to, to kind of uh, volunteer for one of those spots. Um, also, is there a link? Yeah, that link right there if, uh, if you want to jump on. Uh, right now on your on your phone or, or tablet and do that as well. I know lots of information on the front end here, but we're excited about this. We think God can do special things uh, on a day when we just kind of kind of take a minute to do something different, to act out together what we've been what we've been talking about. Uh, so we invite you to come and be part of that next Sunday. Now, as we've been preparing for this Engage Sunday. We have been uh, looking at this text, this story of Jesus telling a a parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we call it typically, to a lawyer, a lawyer who came to kind of test him a little bit, to needle him, to ask some questions, to test what he was all about. Um, And in, in this story, right at the end there, you have this moment where they have an interaction um, and, and Jesus finishes and he says, okay, so in this story, who, who was the neighbor to the man who was beaten on the side of the road? And the, the lawyer says, well, it's the one who showed mercy to the man. And Jesus says, yeah, go and do likewise. He gives this kind of short but I think it's kind of a, if we're honest, an often kind of troublesome little command. Go and do likewise. And so for the past few weeks, we've talked about what does it look like for us to go and do likewise? And what he means by that is go show mercy like the Samaritan did. So we've talked about what, what, is that, what does that look like in our lives? What would it look like for us to focus on showing mercy and love to the people that are closest to us? Physically, the people in our neighborhood, the people we interact with every day in our job or in school, those people that are closest uh, around us. And I think Corey's done a fantastic job of kind of leading us, uh, leading our hearts in in that reflection. This is actually not the first time we've done a series like this. Some of you who have been here a while may remember a few years ago, we did uh, another series that was kind of about reaching out to our neighbors, and many of you took that very seriously. How do we, how do we love the people around us? Not for, uh, not for any major reason other than we're called to do it. And my wife and I took that pretty seriously, and we still do. Uh, we started trying to do some stuff with uh, the people that we uh, work with, the people that live closest to us. And with some, you know, successes and failures along the way. My wife is a whole lot better at this than I am. Because, first off, she's better at relationship than I am. Uh, People like her better than they like me. Right off the bat, that helps. Um, And it takes a lot more effort for me to kind of get to know somebody. And so one day, um, I'm sitting out on my front porch... And you got to understand, I really want to do this. I want to reach out to my neighbors, and I've been praying about this. I've been praying for opportunities, and I want to get better at it because I feel like I haven't done a very good job. 
And so there's some kind of sense of guilt there, I think. I, I've got to do better. And so I've been praying, God give me opportunities. And I'm sitting on my front porch, which is a place where I go to kind of decompress. I've got a rocking chair there because I'm, I'm uh, 75 at heart or whatever it is. Uh, I really like to sit out on my front porch. Um, and, and I'm sitting there. I've got a, a second rocking chair sitting next to me. And as, as I'm out there, one of my neighbors comes by. This is a guy I've kind of got to know a little bit. Lives in the neighborhood. Uh, we've had a handful of conversations. And this time, when he comes by, usually we talk in the street or in his yard. This time he comes up my, my, uh, my sidewalk and comes onto my porch and sits down in the rocking chair next to me. Never done that before. Um, I can tell immediately something's not right. One of the first clues is he's not sober. Um, he's drunk, and honestly, that, you know, I've been around him a few times when, when that was the case. But that wasn't the main thing. There was something else I could tell. And so within minutes of us talking, he tells me, hey, yesterday, my mom passed away. And he's broken up. Okay, now here's where this story gets, uh, gets bad. <clears throat> I do this for a living. I work at a church. I've been in situations where people were hurting in that way a whole lot. And, and so this should be wheelhouse for me, this kind of interaction. But somehow, my first reaction to this, deep in my heart, was, oh, not here too. I thought it was going to be easier than this. I don't know what I had in my mind. I, you know, did I think loving our neighbors was all you know, potlucks and block parties and going on vacation together and watching our kids play in the street? I'm not that naive. I know better than that, right? Then why in that moment is my first response to this, oh, no, this is going to be messy. I don't want messy right now. I'm just rocking on my porch. I don't need that. My heart was in the wrong place for this. Now, I had all the best intentions of the world of being a good neighbor. Every one of them. But when it got to, you know, where the, where the rubber meets the road and things got difficult, all of a sudden I hit a hard spot in this, I, I, didn't, I didn't have it in me. And here's the deal. I, I don't think that my, uh, my experience is uncommon. I think some of you may have gone through this as well. That when it comes to, to loving our neighbors, we really want to do that. We want to get better at that. But then when we get in there, we start to realize that, hey, loving our neighbors is just like loving anybody else. And the fact is, loving people, having a relationship with people gets messy and it gets hard. And sometimes it can be boring and tedious. There are challenges to it. And so the question is, do, when it comes down to it, do we have what it takes to, to be consistent 
and to keep doing it, to keep loving those people. So what we do is we settle, right? We settle for doing nice things every once in a while. Go and do likewise turns into go and do likewise when you got the time. Or when you're feeling bad about yourself and you need to feel better. Or when you're, you know, you got to calm some guilt in your life. Then go do something good for somebody else. And the good Samaritan, this story has to be calling us to something better than just that. I don't think when Jesus sends off this lawyer and says, go and do likewise, that he means, hey, go and do it when you can. I think he means, go and live a life of mercy. Go be merciful. And so the question I have is, how do we become that? How do we allow God to to transform us into merciful people? And so what I want us to do today is I want us to go back to this story of the Good Samaritan one more time. And and I want us to, to, to listen to it because I think this starts with our motives. And if we listen to this story, we can hear something in it that speaks to the motives that can help us be more consistent with this, be more merciful. Um, Okay, so we we go back to the story of of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is about, Jesus is telling this story to a lawyer who's asked him some questions, and the last question is, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus does what Jesus does. He just starts telling him a story. Here's my question. Who are we supposed to relate to in this story? That's kind of important, right? To figure out who you relate to. I read a lot of books. I watch a lot of TV. I'm always looking, either consciously or subconsciously, for the character that I resonate with the most. And if I don't find one, I usually bail on that story. So in this story, who are we supposed to to be? Who are we supposed to relate to? Most of the time, I think, what we end up with is we're the Samaritan. Or we're supposed to be the Samaritan. We call the story the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus at the end says, go and do likewise. Go and be like the good Samaritan. But he's calling us to imitate that character. That's not necessarily the one we're supposed to, to really find ourselves in while he's telling the story, right? And so I wonder, who does he want the lawyer that he's talking to? Who does he want to, re- to resonate with or to relate to? That can't be easy for him to find, right? Think about it. Okay, so Jesus starts the story, and he says there's a man, presumably a a normal uh, Jewish man, Israelite man, going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Maybe this lawyer he's talking to has made that trip bunches of times, knows the, the dangers of it, knows the route. Maybe he sees himself in this guy, right? And then Jesus kind of takes that off the table. Because immediately he says, this man was taken over by robbers, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road. Most of us don't relate to the guy who gets beat up in the second sentence. That's not how we do stories very often, right? And so maybe the the lawyer kind of bails on that, like, okay, that's not me. But, But Jesus follows it up, gives him somebody right off. He gives him a hook, right? Here comes a priest down the road. All right, I can relate to this guy. 
This is the guy that's going to do the right thing, a holy man. Gets down the road. Now, hold on a minute. He just passed him by. Why did he do that? That's not what he's supposed to do. And there's no excuse really given. Okay, maybe that's not the, the one I find myself in. Okay, Levite. I can do this. Here comes the Levite. Levite comes down. He goes past. No, hold on. That's not what's supposed to happen here. But the third guy is going to get it right. Because that's how these stories go. Right? It's like a joke. It's kind of, there's kind of a set way that this happens. And this third guy, he's going to get it right. And he's going to be an Israelite. Because that's how these stories get told as well. There's always three, and these three go together very often in, uh, in storytelling by a lot of rabbis and stuff like that. You've got a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite. It's like chocolate vanilla strawberry or Huey Dewey Louie or whatever. You know, it's a, there's a triad there of priest, Levite, Israelite. Here he comes. This is going to be the guy who's going to do the right thing in this story. And then Jesus throws the biggest curveball he can possibly throw. He makes the next character, the one who is indeed going to do the right thing, he makes that, that character a hated enemy, a Samaritan. The guy that the lawyer is least likely to be able to resonate with is now going to be the hero of the story. So who does this lawyer find himself in? Who's left? Well, we're back to where we started, right? It's the guy beaten on the side of the road. That's who he hears himself as. Or I think that's how, what Jesus is, is, is hoping happens here. And for many Jews later on, many, um, when this story gets told uh, in, a, in a lot of literature, this story is, is titled um, The Parable of the Man Who Was Beaten by, th- by Thieves. That's the, the main character. Now, what changes? What changes about this story if you read it through the lens of the man who is beaten by the side of the road? I think what changes is that we now become the ones who are shown mercy instead of the ones who are showing mercy. Jesus had a choice here. He could have made the hero of the story a Jewish man and made the person on the side of the road a Samaritan and done the same thing in the story. But instead, he switches that up, and I think it's for the very reason that the lawyer then can't be the hero of the story. And I think it's the same for you and me. We always want to kind of find ourselves somewhere near the hero of the story. And instead, Jesus is putting us in the place of the one who's receiving mercy. And that changes a lot of how we see this. Because if you, if you read it that way, if you, if you really understand that we're the ones receiving mercy, that creates a posture of humility in us. Now, humility is one of those words. I know it's, it's kind of hard for us to really understand what we mean when we say humility. Um, we, we hear humiliation or humiliate or that you'll be brought all the way down. 
Um, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about here. I, I found a, a, a good definition of humility. Randy Harris, who has uh, spoken here, author and speaker that has been here at Riverside several times. Some of you know him. He says it this way. He says, basically, humility amounts to seeing yourself correctly. It has to do with not valuing yourself too much or too little. So it's not, it's not thinking completely lowly of yourself, that you're nothing, but it's also not letting you be the hero of every story and putting others above yourself. And humility asks us uh, to do that. And I think the way we get to humility is that we understand that we have been people who have received mercy in our lives. And we allow that to work on our hearts. It was about a year after the conversation on the porch with my neighbor. I was back on the porch in the same rocking chair, empty rocking chair next to me. Um, I was not in a good way. Was having a, a bad couple of days. Some stuff had happened. And I hadn't responded very well. I had kind of snapped at some people, and and uh, you know, you know, as you do when you're kind of under stress. I'd um, I'd said some things that I regretted, and and wasn't feeling great. And I happened to be sitting out on my porch, and one of my friends, a shepherd from this church showed up at my house. And he came up the sidewalk and he sat with me on the porch. And he spoke words of truth and healing and comfort and peace into my heart, into my life. Um, In the same spot where I found it hard to show mercy to my neighbor, God sent somebody to show mercy to me. That, that porch has become kind of a healing place for me now, right? Because I was humbled there. I felt, I felt the mercy and the love of Jesus as I have felt it so many times in my life, at times when I needed it. And it's because of that that I want to love my neighbors. It's because of that that I want to reach out to them. Not because of some box I want to check to be better. Not because of something I want to do to fill a void in my life. Not something that I want to do to to take away guilt that I have. It's because I've tasted that mercy and I want other people to taste it as well. I think that's what it means to start to become a merciful person, and I'm still learning. On every level, I'm still learning. Now, what this posture of humility does, I think is twofold. I want you to hear these two things. One is that it draws us deeper into the messiness. We step into the messiness of the world because Jesus has stepped into the messiness of our lives. There's a lot of messiness in the world. And if anybody, if anybody should be prepared and ready to step into that messiness, it should be those of us who have tasted the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. 
We should be those people. And so many of you in this room are. You've dedicated your lives to that. I'm inspired by that. And we continue to spur each other on in that. To step into that messiness, not to check a box, not to make ourselves feel better, not to make a name for ourselves, but because we want to share that mercy. The other thing I think this humility does is that it causes us to take the next step, which is always the most difficult one, to be consistent in what we're doing. We take the next step in showing mercy because Jesus hasn't given up on us. And so we don't give up on other people. So we take that, that consistent next step. Um, I had lunch this week with, uh, with a, a friend of mine from here at Riverside. And uh, he and I had the opportunity last year to be in a discipleship group together. And in that group, we kind of challenged each other to, to, to do some practices that, that led us further into ministry and, and further into our devotion to God. And he decided that one of the things he wanted to do is that he and his wife wanted to, to really reach out to the neighbors in the new neighborhood that they had just moved into. So they kind of did a, a backwards welcome wagon kind of thing. They made cookies or something um, and went and took that to their neighbors, which a lot of you have done, right? And in, in doing that, uh, that's a great thing. But a lot of times that's where we stop. But they didn't. As they were doing that, they met some neighbors and, and uh, one of their neighbors said, this is awesome. I've always wanted to do a block party. But I've never had anybody to help me. And so my friend's wife said, well, I'll help. I'll, I'll help do that. So they made a plan. And I don't know, several months ago, they had a block party. Well, every time I've ever been to a block party, this happens. People start talking, wow, it's great to get to know you. Man, we should do this more often. And then nobody does it more often. It totally falls off the table. Well, they said, let's do it more often. And... Uh, those two uh, couples that had, had thrown the first one decided, let's do it. And so last Sunday, they threw their second, I think second, right, um, of the block party and spent time together with their, their neighbors. Now, here's the thing about that. That's three steps, right? Boom, boom, boom. And I don't know that they would say they're very far down the road in getting to know their neighbors. But they're faithfully taking each step that's laid out before them, Right? And I know them. I know this young couple. This couple, they're not doing this to make themselves look better. They're doing this because they love their neighbors. And so because of that, when the next step presents itself, they're going to take it. Mainly because I've called them out in a sermon now. They have to. Uh, right? But they'll take that step and then they'll take the one after that and they'll take the one after that. Because that faithfulness. Faithfully taking each step, God works in that. As we continue to sacrifice that for other people. So the question is, oh, I have a, I have a good friend. I did want to share this. I have a good friend um, who loves his neighbors better than anybody I know. 
And his, I don't know if this is his, his phrase or not, but, but he says, a lot of times loving your neighbors is just showing up at the showing up place. At the place you're supposed to show up, you're consistently there. Man, I love that. But that only happens if you have the humility enough to know that you need people to show up for you as well. Um, would you stand? I guess I would have lots of questions at the end of this. One of those is, is uh, what's your next step? In, in whatever God's called you to and loving your neighbors, what, what next step do you need to take? And how does that need to happen? Um, one of the next steps for this church is next Sunday. And, and what we're doing next Sunday, it, it, yeah, it's a one-off kind of thing. Um, but, but we want this to be a practice that we do together. To, to kind of to, to spur us all on in, in doing this. So we're going to go out into our community and we're going to create things here to send out into our community and we're excited about that. But I want us to go out with the right hearts. We don't go out from here as the saviors of our community. And we don't go out as its judges either. We don't go out here trying to make a name for ourselves. We don't go out from here trying to make a name for our church. And we don't go out from this place trying to bury or calm some feeling of guilt that we haven't done enough. No, I want us to go out from this place as people who have experienced mercy and love from Jesus Christ, as people who have been beaten by the side of the road and have felt what the love of neighbor should be. This is the bottom line. A life of mercy calls us to humbly and consistently step into the messiness of relationship. And what I want you to do, I want all of us to do this week, as we prepare for next week, is to spend time prayerfully reflecting on the ways you've received mercy. From Christ, from people he has put in your life. And from that, maybe we then go out with open hands, open ears, open eyes, and open hearts. If you haven't experienced that mercy, or if you would like to pray with somebody about what all this means, we'd love to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Our shepherds and their wives will be around uh, the auditorium, and feel free to go to them uh, to pray about that. As we prepare our hearts uh, not only to go out next week, but just to go out today as people who love our neighbors because of the love and mercy that we've experienced. Let's sing.